0: This is a FuBar Radio podcast. For more information, go to foobarradio.com.
1: Politics matters with Eleanor Penny. General election coverage on FuBar Radio.
2: I do think that Brexit is the
3: biggest foreign policy blunder of the post-war period. Well, you Disco- said, oh, can I? I can I, Can you allow me to finish? Uh, well, do you mind? Yeah, I asked you a question, and you're no. ignoring it. No, I'm not ignoring the question. If you'd give me a minute, I'll answer it come under a lot of pressure then to support jeremy corbyn as prime minister because he will be promising a so-called people
4: let me be incredibly clear about this jeremy corbyn and boris johnson i do not believe are fit to be prime Minister. Minister, minister
0: Body language throughout this evening has been so contemptuous of this house sit, and of the
3: people. Up, and
5: for the benefit up, of Hansard, the up, leader of the house up, has been spread across around three seats, lying out.
3: If you ask me, why am I relatable? I don't, you know, how, how am I relatable? i have not, not, idea. Idea. not the
2: faintest idea. It seems to me t- the most difficult psychological question that anybody's ever well, asked me.
4: Hello, hello, hi, and welcome to Politics Matters on Foobar Radio, your one-stop shop for election schlock, uh, where we sort through the fact from the fake news and where we pinch our noses and dive off the deep end into the treacherous waters of general election 2019. I'm your host, Eleanor Penny. Uh, you can tweet along and send me happy tales of the outside world beyond the studio uh, on Eleanor K Penny on Twitter, or you can get us on at Fubar Radio on all good social media platforms and some terrible ones to boot. Uh, you can also email us your thoughts. Uh, politics matters at fubarradio.co.uk.com, uh, not .co.uk. I'm getting carried away with the nationalist sense sentiment that's gripping the nation. So joining me to rifle through the headlines first is Ben Smoke, writer and editor at Huck Magazine. And then I'll be chatting through uh, race and migration and how that's impacting the election with David Waring, a lecturer in international relations at Royal Holloway University. And then I'll be asking Becca Hudson from the Fuck Boris campaign and young conservative Elena Bunbury if the kids are actually all right after all. And if we'll see another electoral quake like we did back in the um, golden days of 2017, but first up, um, hello Ben.
6: Hiya. Oh, yeah. How are you?
4: <laughs> How are you doing? Great. I'm great. I'm <laughs> kind of. Um, I'm feeling incredibly energised because I've totally like feel like I've lost my grip on the fourth dimension. So I'm rejecting reality before it rejects me, and I feel like incredibly overconfident, Overconf- uh, not about um, a Labour victory. Not sure if the polls actually bear that out. What do you think?
6: I mean, it's been a time, hasn't it? We've all had a bit of one. I think in terms of polls, look, it's important to remember, and as I do with all men in my life, trust none of them. Trust absolutely none <laughs>
4: trust of Trust <them>. no man. <laughs> uh,
6: because you know, we saw in 2017 this huge awakening. You, you mentioned it earlier in terms of the youth quake. This huge awakening of of people who were energised by not only Jeremy Corbyn, but by the Labour Party manifesto and by the radical sea change that it represented from the Labour Party politics of the past and the general consensus around austerity and things like that. and none of the polls have caught up. None of the polls caught up in 2017. There was still. There was a, an article in The Independent the day before the general election in 2017 that said Theresa May is on course to win a thatcher landslide. Did it happen? No. She How cried. did that work out for you, Theresa May? <laughs> well, someone vomited. That's what happened. Someone vomited oh, in the Tory party she office. She cried. She did cry.
4: I've only just remembered that she cried. I know. And Amber Rudd. Is it bad to, to not feel f- <laughs> no. sorry for her?
6: What a mm, day that was. Well. And Amber Rudd cried on TV as well. It was just. It was a real time. And so I think the the reality is, is that the polls just haven't caught up. They haven't, um, you know, I think it was Kantar, um, which had a poll that came out last night that put Labour like 11, 12 points behind. I mean, I've just got to the point where i just stopped looking at them, to be honest. Yeah. But Kantar released their weightings earlier in the election. And it said that 95% of 65-plus uh, voters were going to vote. It's the, it's the 12th of December, It's cold. Like the idea that (laughs) the idea that ninety five percent of that group when only eighty five percent of them voted in June twenty seventeen when it's actually quite warm, that ninety five percent of them are gonna turn up and go to the election. And you know, granted there's postal votes and things like that, but it's just nonsense and I think that we need to really take these with like a pinch of salt. And they are a campaigning tool. And when, when there are good ones, we were talking about it earlier, when there are good ones come through, we feel energised. We're there, we're ready. We're going to do this. Corbyn by Christmas, yeah. When there's a bad one, it's like, oh, no, 5, 20, 100 more years of Tory doom. Actually, no, it's all to play for. Uh, we know, can
4: still make Boris cry. Absolutely. <laughs> Boris absolutely. tears for
2: Christmas.
6: 100%. The sweetest
4: eggnog that there ever was. No, I think like that. making the mistake of using it as a kind of predictive extrapolatory tool it's like been quite... Um, effective in dampening the spirits of exactly the people who shouldn't be listening to them and should be, like, out there campaigning. Um, Shameless plug, like, if you do want to get involved in uh, making Boris cry, go to mycampaignmap.com to find out nearest marginals and how you can get uh, involved like that. Um, So this week has... I, I can't believe how much news... Has <laughs> has has been going on this week, but like, what are the what are the stories for you that have kind of been missed from the headlines?
6: So, I think one of the one of the big things um, is, you know, we had this Tory party manifesto that came out to the. the- the bluster of Boris Johnson. (laughs) And, you know, bit by bit, his main key pledges were picked apart. Are there going to be 40 new hospitals? I say 40,000 then. Are there going to be 40 new hospitals? No, there are going to be six. Are there going to be 50,000 new nurses? No, like 19,000 of them are already nurses. Is there going to be 20 billion pounds of potholes? Probably, yeah, but there's no money for Grenfell. All of these things, over and over, these have been played out. And then we've had the the NHS papers, if you will, And so our election has been very much focused on...
5: Pulling
4: up the receipts, like, (laughs) for your bad boyfriend.
6: That was so good. It was Jeremy Corbyn's account.
4: (laughs) It was... (laughs) It was Rebecca Vardy.
6: Um, But, like, behind behind the headlines, I think, if you take a deep dive into the Tory party manifesto, you see something really sinister lying there. And I wrote about quite a few of them last week, about the kind of the attack on rights... Um, You know, uh, I've been an activist, I've been involved in quite a few, like, high-profile actions and, you know, felt the heavy arm of the law weighing (laughs) down upon my head. Um, But, like, you know, the language that Boris Johnson is using in terms of, in the Conservative Mm -hmm. Party, in terms of, like, um, (coughs) human rights and our ability to be able to kind of like exercise these and the attacks that they're going to put on is, is terrifying. But beyond that, um, I'm you know, part Romani. I didn't grow up in a community, but it's like very important to me and important to my heritage. And there's a passage in it that I think a lot of people have missed in that what they're going to do is they're going to bring, firstly, they're going to criminalise trespass. So if you're not aware, trespass is not technically a criminal act currently mm-hmm. it's a civil act so if you trespass on someone's land they can sue you for it it's only when it's aggravated trespass which means that there's an aggravating factor so you're getting in the way of, of business being done or you're I don't know uh,
4: like well, it's, st- it's, a, it's the law that's often used to prosecute um, activists as as Ben <laughs> as Ben famously knows for uh, people who don't know Ben was involved in the uh, uh, now known as Stansted 15 action grounding a plane that was uh, about to sort of take uh, illegally d- deport people who uh, who hadn't gone through like Uh, well, not just illegally, but also immorally uh, deport migrants back to situations in which they face, you know, danger and death. And uh, one of the charges was, I believe, aggravated trespass.
6: It it was at the start, and then they decided, nah, that's not good enough. He's a terrorist. Let's go full terrorism.
4: Jesus Christ. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) Um, You can't, like... It's just just beyond belief. But yes, anyway. um, So,
6: yeah, so... um, Oh, I lost my thought with full terrorism. So, yes. Uh, so, in terms of... So, what they're doing is they are criminalising trespass. And the reason that they're doing this is because they want to make it illegal for anybody, any traveller, uh, to park up and stay somewhere that's not allotted traveller land. Um, and this can be for one night. If you have the intention of staying for a night... You can have your assets seized, your your home, your caravan. You can have all of your belongings seized, and you can be arrested and put in prison under new Tory plans. Under these are the plans brought out by Jesus, Pretty Patel. Jesus,
4: ghettoisation. Absolutely horrifying. And this
6: is this is you know, and I don't really like using these these um, comparisons, and I don't use them lightly. But this is truly how it starts. This is the beginning yeah. um, of you know. I was just like, you know, these, this it's you know the the. The basher-traveller part of the election always comes quite early on because, you know, they're easy votes to win in Middle England. And, you know, nobody really... And, you know, the fact that we haven't really been talking about it, I think, is really quite... um, Symptomatic of the way in which the traveller communities, Roman communities, are seen within this country, and you know, it's, it's kind of one of the last vestibules of acceptable, explicit racism. Yeah. In a way, is that, that you... not
4: against rich people? I oh, thought
6: no. that. What?
4: Sorry, like um, every every like couple of months, I see an article being like the last acceptable prejudice <laughs> is against posh people. I'm like. <laughs> <laughs> hmm, People are being literally ghetto wise, but okay but the <laughs> okay, are jolly. Yeah,
6: <laughs> they run out of avocados at Waitrose. yeah exactly um, and I think that' that 's you know, one of the things that really scares me about this election is because we've kind of we 've got into this position where you you 've got it 's almost a circus, you know Boris Johnson was uh, invited weeks and weeks and weeks ago um, to talk about the climate in what was the first climate debate mm. in this country. And decided not to go. So both, so Channel Four put, uh, iconically, an ice sculpture in his place. And Boris, instead of like giving any reason as to why he was or where he what he was doing, he sent not only like his his little, he sent his little blinky mate Gove, and along with him to back him up, he sent his dad and it's just these kind of things and yet, and then obviously the next day we all know uh, Stanley Johnson went on to uh main like prime time television and questioned the intellect of the entire british people uh, by questioning whether or not they could possibly know uh about pinocchio
4: it's just it's the 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 straws that they clutch at in order to like Justify this, like what they assume is a meritocracy, but was always an actual fact. Like you know, your your granddad's granddad's granddad a million times removed, like slaughtered the right person in the Middle Ages, and therefore you like are set up for life. That kind of thing. It's it's bizarre. And the the thing that kind of terrifies me most about that whole episode is not just that like Boris Johnson didn't turn up. We we kind of know that he is terrible on climate change. He's literally denied the existence of climate change before. But the fact that he would go so far as to try and punish um, Channel 4 and threaten to remove their license... For calling him out and not kind of doffing their cap as much as some parts of the BBC, to the frustration of like many journalists within the BBC, as a matter of fact. And that's true authoritarianism, because like that is not just that's not something that's accidentally going to have a chilling impact on freedom of speech. It's designed to have a chilling impact on freedom of speech. And the fact that Anyone would think about putting someone who is so flagrantly irresponsible with, like, the fundaments of any kind of f- functioning democracy is just like, I, I'm just, I'm baffled. I'm baffled. It's like, it's like, the, I'm, I'm. You know, I, um, having to encounter, like, an alien species or, like, some kind of rogue zoo- zoological curiosity. Like, I know it has, like, a lot of cultural cachet about, like, yes, we need to renew the state and, like, people like the idea of, like, this Trumpian, Churchillian strong leader and he's very much playing to that gallery. But it's just, it just comes across as so desperate to me, like, so well, pathetic. I think, I
6: think the thing is as well is that, we you know, we've seen that this is the culmination of... Years of this, these kind of politics, and we saw it in the Leave vote. I think it was uh, it was ITV they threatened to um, review their licence over a similar election thing, the Leave campaign when they when the uh, referendum was done in 2016. Um, and this kind of bluster, this sort of just flagrant telling of lies. Mm. And in, in any other time, and I can't. I was talking to a friend the other day, and it's was um, both of our like first times properly covering this, um, As journalists, and we were like. Is it always this mad? And actually, I think we came to the conclusion no, because we've both been involved in elections previously, and um, you know, whether it's been working or canvassing or whatever. And actually, this feels different. This does genuinely feel scary and vicious and nasty. And I think that you know to take it back to that the Tory Party manifesto and. Um, it really is sort of like woven into the fabric of... Johnson keeps calling them one-nation conservatives, but Mm. they're not, they're absolutely not. They are a new beast, a new terrifying beast of conservatives that are just trouncing over every single part of our very fragile democracy and the very flimsy rights that we actually have and fought for for hundreds of years to be able to enjoy. And it's kind of... It's kind of scary to see. I mean, you, you, you picked up on it just a second ago. You know, how many people are just lapping it up? I mean, Laura Koonsberg, who's the BBC's political editor, and I really don't like the, the general sort of bashing of particularly Laura Koonsberg, but any journalist in the mainstream. It's a hard job to do. Uh, any, any foot that you put in <laughs> yeah. a tiny little place, you're kind of out... And, you, you know, you can be criticised. Um, but, you know, she... In, on the day... It was Wednesday last week. On the day that Jeremy Corbyn came out and said, we've got the receipts. <laughs> we <laughs> have them here. Bush. Them, bashed them down on this platform. Did this little thing. Got them handed out by NHS staff, which was just beautiful.
4: Yeah, like actual doctors being Phenomenal. like... I told you, we've been telling you Absolutely. for 10 years. Just what a
6: flex. Yeah, what a flex. Huge, huge read. Um, but he, then Laura Koonsberg, reporting on it, said, well... I mean, we don't know whether the government are actually going to do it or not. How is that analysis, sorry, how is that not just simply picking up a Tory attack line and, like, using it as, like, a shield? And, you know, you then had Emily Maitlis comparing the Labour Party announcement to, that said they were going to plant <laughs> two billion trees. I think you tweeted about how yeah, very reasonable Yeah, I, like, crunch the it numbers. Is.
4: It takes, like, 600 people
6: yeah, like for, for a year.
4: That's, like... Fine, that's chill. fine.
6: It's just trees, man. They're yeah. quite small. Like they're not. Yeah. No one's planting great oaks.
4: Yeah. I, c- I can't remember what what country it is, but they planted like three hundred fifty million. I think
6: Ethiopia. Is Ethiopia? Yeah. There we go.
4: Planted three hundred fifty million trees in one day. Yeah, like, that's it. This isn't like in back in the annals <laughs> of history. This is like. Two months ago. This is, yeah.
6: And so she's then going like, oh, well, you know, this will be remembered as the election of numbers uh, and lies because Labour have said they're going to plant two billion trees and the Tories have said they're going to have 50,000 nurses. It's like the false equivalence of those two Mm. figures, which, and it's very easy to unpick that. Very easy to one pick where the t- where the um, fifty thousand nurses are coming from and how one would go about planting two billion trees. like do a little bit of journalistic research. Yeah, like have a bit of rigor.
4: It's not research. Like I'm a very lazy researcher. <laughs> I just literally picked up a calculator and I was like, oh. Well, it's fine then, isn't it? It's like, very disappointing. Um, it's yeah, it such a massive uh, anti And I think that the um, slippage was so quick from, like, oh, of course the Conservatives aren't going to sell off the NHS. Like, they would never do it. It would be so unpopular to flog off and privatise something that's such a key part of, uh, of you know, the fundament of our society. And it's straight to like, oh, you know, we know that. But they, you know, would they? And it's like they're already doing it. They've sold off the oil, gas, airways, uh, electric, BT, uh, post. The, the post. Like there's there's like every social, every like aspect of social wealth they've, they've flogged off. They've already started to flog off the NHS. The, the amount of energy that it takes to maintain that kind of like well, I guess we'll wait and <laughs> wait and see. I'm all for hope. I'm, like, so pro-optimism uh, of the will, pessimism of the intellect, but, like, come on.
6: It's just... And it's just blindingly... I, I, yeah, I kind of... I've got to a point now where I'm just... My head is in my hands with it because it just feels like every which way you turn. I mean, John Rento, who is um, the independence political editor, yesterday was saying, well, you know, this, uh, this railfare... Uh, Like taking the fares down by 33%. Well, that's just subsidies for rich people because it's only rich people that use the train. Uh, Right, hold on a second. (laughs) Let's just take it back, shall we? Yeah, fair enough. Fair play. You've got it right. Rich people do predominantly use the trains. Do you think potentially it might be because they're quite expensive, mate? (laughs) Do you think maybe if you took the prices down, people like me would have to sit on like an 11-hour coach to go and see my mum at Christmas? I could get a five-hour train instead. Hype? Yes. We would, right? Like... Obviously, obviously, and it just doesn't take two seconds to think that through, and people are just using this as analysis, and it's not. It's just bashing. I mean, when, when broadband communism happened... Um, <laughs> There were were pundits galore being like, well, this is just a popular policy. Yes, that is the point. (laughs) You've got it. Congratulations. (laughs) That is how, like, politics... People
4: like politics. (laughs) Something must be wrong here. It it really speaks to the depth of... um, to, To the depth of political disengagement that that a lot of people I think often rightly feel from the systems you know assuming that like politics is not designed to work for ordinary people I'm like yeah that is absolutely right so when i talk to people on the doorstep one of the biggest barriers that I kind of you have to broach is the fact that like yeah no the policies all sound good and like and and, and popular and people are behind them but and it's not even a sense of like or whether or not this is possible it's like even if it is possible how the hell can we trust politicians to do that and those kinds of a false equivalencies and b a, a, a total lack of like being honest about the you know, possible limits of governments is It's just a condemnation of it that people have no trust that we have an alternative to a system that puts four million kids in poverty. Mm -hmm. And even people whose kids are in poverty. That is, it's just, uh, I mean, I don't like bashing the media so much as, like, as you know a political analysis because i think like okay a lot of newspapers are run by billionaires we shouldn't necessarily (laughs) expect them to be like on board with like a radical redistributive project um but i have been kind of shocked at just like at the depth of 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 how uh, how much i feel sold to the wolves mm. because ultimately like yeah this is, to me this is the climate change election you know we've got 10 years left to save the planet um and people and like people who could be holding politicians to account and people who could be part of that change part of giving me a livable planet in like more than 20 years and making sure my hometown isn't flooded out are not doing their jobs properly and, like, if I'm angry, it's because it feels bloody personal. Because it is bloody personal. I, mean,
6: I think that, you, you know, you're picking up... You're, you're right in the sense that it is personal and there's almost this idea within the political class generally that um, you know, that, that anger is unseemly. That it's, it's not you know, reasonable to be angry, and you know, when you've got Jeremy Corbyn, who's generally a very, very placid man, bless him, very like he just wants to make jam, and like just, this yeah. is all he wants to do, yeah. he just wants jam and peace. And when he's getting up and being fuming and angry and talking about these letters that he's being sent, I mean you do kind of, like, you understand the reason, like, how, what this election is for so many people. And you're right, this is a climate change election, but for so many people, you're like the families that you saw last night on the yeah. d- Dispatches programme, or the 135,000 children that Shelter have released this morning. The, the figures in release children. <laughs> the figures that Shelter have <laughs> released... onto the streets, <laughs> chaos. <laughs> the figures that... Um, Shelter released this morning that said 135,000 children are homeless.
1: this
6: is so real for them. Yeah. This is so real for all of this us. This is
4: life and death. This yeah. is seriously life and death for people. Mm-hmm. And the idea that like this, uh, the, a sense of like class deference would be put above that is not necessarily surprising. But God, does it make me angry? If you mean? <laughs> uh, we're going to have to uh, wrap it up there. Thank you so much to Ben for coming in to chat with Thanks me. Hope we have me. you back soon. And talking of outraged frustration, we're just going to play you a clip from the fantastic um, Gogglebox episode when, <laughs> on uh, NHS privatisation.
3: What we know of what Mr. Johnson has done is a series of secret meetings with the United States <gasps> in which they were proposing. Mm. <laughs> I reckon there's a little bit of truth in that, cos Boris looked down as if he'd been nabbed. <laughs> yeah. To open up our NHS markets, as they call them, to American companies. Oh. Is that right? Oh.
1: He's bringing up the NHS because that is a massive thing that will make people not want to vote Atari.
3: Freedom of Information Act request was made. Ah. Uh,
1: Freedom of Information
4: Act.
3: <laughs> in order to find out what happened at these meetings. That's what happened at these meetings. Oh. <gasps> He's pulling up the paperwork. Every single line of this document redacted out. Ah. Oh. Redacted? What does that mean then? That means that if it's a confidential document, you blank things off, you don't want other people to find out about it. A document here of US UK negotiations. Now, you're getting the truth. How oh, do you know it's the truth? Mr. Full Johnson. market access for U.S. products to our National Health
5: Service. You're going to Mr. sell Johnson our National oh, Health Service. <laughs> <laughs> no way. No way. So he's brought this out of the hat. What will Boris say?
3: This is, this, is an absolute, this is an absolute invention. It is completely untrue.
5: How can it be
6: untrue? Or are we just being lied to? So
3: where has that paperwork
5: come from, then? Well, what's the document about, then, Boris?
1: Fubar Radio presents
3: Nick Hellman, and Nathaniel Metcalf's fan club. We're joined in the studio by Ingrid Oliver and we're <laughs> discussing <laughs> fart jokes. Well, oh, no, our no. favourite fart jokes, if you've got any favourite <laughs> fart jokes, <laughs> by all means, right into. I've been a fan Hashtag. <laughs> Hashtag well, I've
6: like, got a fart I, for I, you. Yeah,
3: considering <laughs> I hate them, well, I'm really talking about the
6: love. I really yeah. hate
5: acknowledging the enemy.
2: So I saw a filmed insert with the band McFly right. and they're in like a limo or something oh, chatting. Yeah and one of them farted, and it just really made me laugh. No, 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 no. no. I don't like a cartoon fart thing. (laughs) I like a fart joke where it appears like someone
3: shat themselves or
2: something. Oh,
1: (laughs) they
3: Nick and Nat's Fan Club, every Friday from 12pm.
1: Foo Bar Radio. Politics Matters with Eleanor Penny. General Election Coverage on Foo Bar Radio.
4: Hello and welcome back and I hope you enjoyed that little glimpse into how unreconstructedly frustrated a lot of people are feeling with the debate around the NHS and justifiably so. Uh, Moving swiftly along, I am delighted to be joined in the studio here by David Waring who is a lecturer in international relations at Royal Holloway University. How are you doing? Not bad, are you? Yeah, I'm good. I'm, I'm good. I, it's been uh, a packed week in which about four months' worth of news has happened, but I feel I know, like I'm I riding the wave, just about. <laughs> um, so, in this election, there's been a lot of race in this race, I think it's fair to say. Yeah. Um, and yeah. The, the question of... Um, Britain's relationship to different minorities as mm-hmm. as it is phrased and particularly the respective parties relationship to racisms within their own ranks and of course on a policy level has been discussed endlessly and exhaustively but very rarely well it seems yeah, so yeah, yeah. Uh, and of course uh, this time last week the chief rabbi Uh, came out and said that people shouldn't be voting for Labour because of its problems with anti-Semitism. Before we kick off, I do just want to put in a a kind of quick explainer slash disclaimer that the chief rabbi is not as uh, many people who wouldn't necessarily have a reason to know otherwise, and fair enough, assume, um, like the Pope. (laughs) He's not um, a kind of authoritative thought leader who, uh, who decides on policy and practice and, uh, you know, ecumenical matters for the entirety of the Jewish community. He represents um, about 30% of Jewish households and the relationship of the position of the chief rabbi to the kind of uh, British government is a long and storied history that we absolutely don't have time to go into right now but I do encourage you to Google also he is um, just one man uh, with whom a lot of people um, even within his own denomination agree and Haredi Jewish rabbis have also come out in favour of Jeremy Corbyn. Neither of them are necessarily authoritative on the matter but I am so So annoyed (laughs) that someone would presume to endorse Boris Johnson on my behalf. I am pretty sick um, of being represented at this point. David, please (laughs) shed some light on what's been going on this week.
2: I mean, the thing that's frustrated me throughout all this is not that... You know, Jewish people are raising their concerns about anti-Semitism in the Labour Party yeah, really and, sure. and, and the failure of the leadership and the institution of the party to deal with it. That's not just, I mean, I'm not just saying I've got a problem with it. I think it's good. Yeah. It, it has to happen um, because, you know, people have their dignity and their humanity and the right to stand up for themselves. And also because as a member of a racialized minority myself, I feel like any struggle against racism that works out is good for me, too. Very, mm. very secondarily. Um The issue I have with the way this has played out in the debate over the last few weeks and the last couple of years is the way anti-Semitism within the Labour Party is being portrayed as the unique and defining racism of British politics Mm -hmm. and that one's entire decision about how one is going to vote, some people seem to be suggesting, should be based on that and therefore that the anti-racist choice is either anti-Jeremy Corbyn or, more absurdly, pro-Boris Johnson and I feel like there's no reason why we can't raise the issue of anti-Semitism in in Labour without throwing other minorities under the bus (laughs) and just recognising that racism in Britain involves racism against a whole swathe of different minorities and, and draws from a similar kind of set of um, histories and ideologies in terms of uh, whiteness, in terms of chauvinism, and sort of denig- denigratory, denigrating views about other racialized groups, and instead, so there's a there's a tweet from Robert Robert Peston, he's like RTN's political editor oh, he, last yeah. week, and he says, he says something to the effect of. Britain has always been a, toler- a, a bastion of tolerance and diversity. Or whatever. I think Something it was a, like beacon a, beacon, a beacon of tolerance. A beacon yeah. of tolerance and diversity. And effectively saying, and then Jeremy Corbyn's introduced this foreign thing called racism into what was before a sort of pure and innocent British body politics.
4: I like get like, it, you're white, like that, so you just come out and say it. Seriously, come the fuck
2: off it. Do you know what I mean? Like Windrush. Did Windrush not happen? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like Islamophobia, like the. Boris Johnson d- d- has been engaging in hate speech his whole life.
4: Are but people like, not currently locked up in Yarl's Woods? Are yeah, people not yeah, currently yeah. like dying on the streets because they can't get medicine? Medicine because they're being denied yeah. their citizenship. It's so it's so profoundly insulting to so many people. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the things that is, is not picked up on enough is it's kind of it, the debate is sometimes counterposes um, anti. Antisept- anti-Semitism and the fight against it, against other kinds of racism and the fight against them. But the thing that strikes me is that it's so um, (laughs) insulting on one hand and worrying on, on another to pretend that... Um, anti-Semitism which exists, yes, within the Labour Party but also within the rest of the British state and is very much how um, the ruling classes of the British state kind of understand or have historically understood their own kind of mission and reason for their existence and power um, to pretend that, that is the fault of like one uh, like 170 70-something year old um, and if we just banish him from British politics uh, will be resolved is it's so terrifying to yeah, me yeah, because yeah. i see you know people are being shot in their places of worship and rabbis being attacked on the street and it's so undersells mm-hmm. the depth of the problem to focus purely on the labor party and that people who literally erect statues to nazi supporters would have hijacked the debate so much genuinely scares me
1: mm-hmm.
4: for you know for myself for my family for friends of all different minorities, for anyone who's going to suffer the sharp end of of that discourse, which ultimately only empowers the far right, because that essentially paints the same picture of Britishness that the far right are trying to defend, this kind of, like, prelapsarian perfectness that is only sullied when the left come to power.
2: Yeah, I mean, let's let's get into that, because this is really important... Um, we tend to think sometimes of racism as a kind of individualized ignorance like a person's a bit dumb so they say racist things they're not educated or whatever and and sometimes it's like they've been distracted from their true economic concerns or something like that like people need to understand how racism works in this country like. right. You know, Britain had an imperial history from the 1600s right up into like re- very recently the 1960s. Within like you know the yesterday in historical terms, and throughout all those centuries, racism as an ideology was absolutely central to that. You know, um, I know you know this. I'm trying to, say, I'm, you know, for I'm the,
4: for nodding the, for the in <laughs> <laughs> nodding in sort of sagely <laughs> thing, being like, yes, I am keeping up with this international relations <laughs> professor. Do carry on.
2: Um, just just to, for your listeners to kind of historicise it, the fact that. Racism has been right there in the centre of the British intellectual discourse and political discourse for centuries. It was one of the d- main justificatory kind of stories that the British told themselves about why it was right to colonise the rest of the world, dominate the rest of the world, and the British elite would tell themselves these stories day in, day out for centuries. And that stuff hasn't gone away. So looking down on people of colour, looking down on Jewish people, that's just that, that's like. The air that the British political elite breathed for so long, and it's not just going to disappear when empire ends. And I think one of the interesting things, with regard to labour, labour, I would categorise labour as a kind of site of contestation when <coughs> it comes to racism. Like, if you think about the Labour Party under Tony Blair and Gordon Brown. They were terrible on race. You know, we, this is the other thing that's, that's pissed me off a little bit recently, this idea that Labour was once this great anti-racist party and then Jeremy Corbyn came along and introduced racism.
4: Or, on the other hand, so, um, <laughs> but um, um, the idea that anti-Semitism, of course, can exist in the Labour Party because now, under Jeremy Corbyn, it's an anti-racist party, right, exactly, which I think yeah, is, yeah. is equally
5: yeah. absurd. Yeah,
2: yeah. I mean reality is it's a site of contestation and you have yeah, racists yeah. and anti-racists and, and you have anti-racists who need to learn a little bit more about anti-racism <laughs> yeah. rather than just say they're anti-racists. Um, under New Labour, Labour were terrible on race, you know. And I remember um, right towards the end of his tenure, Tony Blair said, if you want to get to grips with black crime, you have to understand black culture.
4: Jesus Christ. And,
2: um, and, it's and, not and, subtle, is it? And, and just after that, he said something like, well, I'm about to leave office, so I feel like I can speak more freely. So we're getting the to real Tony Blair. Like His successor, Gordon Brown, adopted in a conference speech the British National Party's phrase, British Jobs for British Workers. Loads more stuff, punitive sort of measures against immigration. So, labour's a site of contestation. Like you've got people fighting it out to make labour a, hopefully a better place in terms of in terms of race and people with quite bad attitudes on it. And I feel like overall that fight is going in a positive direction, with the exception of anti-Semitism, where, where it's it's been really really poor. But Labour brought out a, a mini manifesto on um, race and faith last week, a 11, short 11-page 11 document, really worth reading, and it's a sign of a party which at least has people in it who are really, really serious about dealing with racism, and in that document and in the main manifesto, there's stanzas talking about we need to educate people when it comes to empire, we need to teach empire in schools, we need to teach how racism and empire be, have been part of our society for a long time, That they grew up together and how, if we understand that, we can unstitch these racist attitudes that result in racist policies and result in racist structures. So, you know, there's on on, on that side, Labour at least it has has a good story to tell, even if it doesn't have a good, has a bad story to tell on anti-Semitism.
4: So, what do you think that we need to kind of inject into this debate because it it has become so degraded? Like, mm, l- mm, I mm. saw a clip the other day of. Uh, Matt Hancock at a hustings, yeah. um, who was being called out and like kind of mocked by the audience for reaching for the, these numbers that have been regularly debunked yeah. on the NHS, fifty thousand nurses, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then wh- he he knows that that's going down badly, mm. and so he reaches for the issue of anti semitism, which mm. you know for the record he's never really concerned himself with before. No. Um, mm. uh, he reaches for the issue of anti semitism to try and kind of like bolster some support. I r- kind of pretty much using Jewish life like a human shield in a way that is is mm -hmm. deeply shallow and deeply cynical and I I, I think is is disgusting quite frankly but then what is also incredibly depressing and dispiriting the audience mocks him for that even more and this is what this is what cynical attitudes to the debate siloing off different kinds of racisms from another treating it like just a kind of personality flaw has done that any mention of anti-Semitism gets such bad faith from the get-go exactly
2: Exactly. that was chilling that part of the clip where the audience start booing is like you don't know whether they're saying you're being cynical or or whether they're saying we don't care about you know people raising the alarm about anti-Semitism but the cynicism of it from the Tories is is incredible. I mean, it, look, you, you sort of alluded to it a minute ago. They, they unveiled a statue of an anti-Semite last week.
4: Like you it's had a perfectly good non-Nazi who was actually the first woman yeah, yeah, elected.
2: Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. They made that she was the first. They're erecting a statue of the first um, woman MP, but it was just a second woman MP and an anti-Semite. <laughs> Terrific. And like, there's lots of examples of anti-Semitism in the Conservative Party. Um, we shouldn't think about it as Labour anti-Semitism. Conservative Islamophobia. The Conservatives have a rich and varied record when it comes to anti Semitism. You know, <laughs> a you vast
4: depth yeah, to plumb. I mean,
2: let, let's not do them down by making out that they're just racist towards one group. they racist to Yeah, they diversify
4: everyone. their profile. It's very <laughs> impressive. Yeah. Um, so, that's probably uh, just about all we have time for. It's such a huge topic and it feels like we've barely skimmed mm. the surface. Um, and hopefully, we'll get a chance to talk about it more as the election moves on. But in the meanwhile, thank you so much to David. And I'll uh, we'll see you very soon. In the meanwhile, we have Laura McAlpine on the phone, I believe, who is the candidate for Harlow. And she is trying to overturn a pretty impressive Conservative majority. Um, and I would love to ask you, hello, Laura. Hi! Hi there. Hi. How are you doing?
1: I'm good, thank you. How are you?
4: Yeah, I'm doing great. In fact, I was um, campaigning in uh, your constituency a couple of weeks ago, and it was it was a pretty interesting terrain. How do you think the campaign has gone? <laughs>
1: um, well, personally, um, we do, I think we're doing really well. I think we're doing really well. We're running a really strong campaign and um, heavily focused on on. You know, issues that have affected Harlow, like the loss of youth services, play schemes, um, the fact that we don't have a proper bus service, the fact that you've got 30-year-olds living with their parents. I mean, really, the the cuts that we've faced in Harlow are just endless, Um, and people want a local voice. So I grew up in Harlow, I went to the schools here, I'm still living here now, um, and I'm bringing up my 10-month-old baby here. And that seems to be going down really well. They don't want a politician that's been parachuted in, somebody that's studied politics at Oxford or Cambridge. They want somebody that's a working-class woman or a working-class man um, that's actually really going to stand up for them. So, yeah, I think we're doing really well
4: what is the purpose of canvassing like why using this this technique so heavily when other parties are kind of pivoting more to a social media campaign or a traditional media campaign what does it do that changes the conversation when you knock on someone's door and when you have that face-to-face chat it's just it's it's
1: different between personally i'm i'm not the best person on, on the telephone. I prefer to speak to someone face-to-face. I just get a, a, a good feel from someone when you meet them. And um, and I've met so many people that are undecided or vote Tory. And actually, once I've spoken to them, I've said, look, what's, what's really affecting you? And has your life improved in the last nine years? And just by having that connection, rather than it just being about social media or something they're reading or something they've watched on the television, that one-to-one with somebody, you just can't beat it. You really can't.
4: Look, we've been talking today a little bit about the issues of trust and, and the degradation of trust, yeah. if you like, in, in the political system and the difficulties I guess of, of, of broaching that, even if you have the best manifesto in the world. Have you encountered that?
1: Yeah, definitely. But again, um I say look, look at look at what the late look at what previous Labour governments have achieved, um, as opposed to the Tory Tory governments. Look at what we did after the Second World War. When we were bankrupt and we built all of those council homes for regular people um, and we created the NHS. So there is a real difference between the political parties. So we're not all the same. Um, And and for people that are saying, oh, yeah, Jeremy, he's the same as Boris and Boris is the same as... You think, hang on a minute. (laughs) No, they're not the same. You just have to look at their track record. you just got to look at how Jeremy Corbyn, what he's fought for in his life and how he stood up, you know, to, to his own, um, you know, to his own leader previously, you know, he voted against the Iraq war, he's always stood by his principles. And, and so that's what I really talk about. But also, yeah, I, I always bring it back to locally in Harlem. And the fact that I am local, and the fact that I am just a regular person trying to make a difference in the town. And, and I think that that usually helps.
4: Thank you so much for talking to us, Laura.
1: Okay. And good Thank luck you. for the rest of the campaign. On. Yeah, thanks. And, and send down your friends as well to help again. Because uh, <laughs> we need the help. We can do it here. So, yeah, put a shout out.
4: Brilliant. I absolutely will. You take care <laughs> Thank now. You. Thank, Thank you.
1: Thank
4: you. Bye. Bye. So, with me in the studio, we have a uh, glamorous representative from Fuck Boris campaign. Um, I'm spelt without the U, I do believe. Available on all good social media platforms. Excuse me. And Eleanor Bunbury, who is a young Conservative campaigner and uh, previously has been stumping for Jeremy Hunt in the Conservative leadership campaign. So, I would like to play you a little clip that, you know, maybe gives us a little tester of um, how Boris's campaign is going down on the street. Because
2: (laughs) you lied to us, Boris.
3: No, because what what I was trying to say... Well, you're
4: playing games.
3: What well, I, well, I
2: think
4: people want us games. to do is... It... You need to think about the younger generation, the people that are going to bring this country forward in the future, but you're not. Well, you're not at all. Good luck with your professor for ideas. But people have died because of austerity, and then you've got the chief to come
1: here.
3: You're not Sorry, answering. I, I've given you the answer. No, you're no, you not me any answers at all. No, <laughs> what are you going to
4: do about the
0: children, everybody, in Glenville Towers? You've
3: saved a few what pennies there for it, haven't you?
0: You're
4: taking away me pension and me rights. Well, you get the picture. It's not. It's it's a bit yikes on on the street. Even though um, you know the Conservatives aren't doing as badly in the polls as that kind of reaction would maybe indicate, and there does seem to be a gulf in between uh, the Conservative street campaign and um, and its polling data, which is kind of the reverse, weirdly, of um, how the Labour Party are doing. And so, famously, um, we have the question of. Uh, the youthquake in 2017 and the extent to which these kind of opposing tactics can deliver or a similar kind of electoral shock. Now, uh, Rosa, I um am We'd love you to talk about uh, what you're trying to do with the Fuck Boris campaign, because I believe it's it's specifically targeting the kind of young voters who feel very, uh, very uh, dispossessed from the political system and really angry at uh, this particular government.
5: Absolutely. So um, Fuck Boris was set up really between a group of friends who were just completely uh, shocked and depressed at the idea that Boris Johnson could become our prime minister. And we actually didn't start off as a voter registration or or electoral focus campaign whatsoever. We began as a street party the day that he became prime minister. um, And we held a kind of joyful street carnival um, in central London, eventually ended up in Downing Street, blocked Grant Sharps from going in and getting his new job from Boris (laughs) in Downing Street, which was enjoyable. Um, And then it was clear that a general election was on the cards. And I think it was just in terms of both when we organised that street carnival, which had almost 10,000 people attend. um, We realised that a lot of the people that were coming were young people. And what our campaign both intended to do and was then successful in doing was mobilising people who, (coughs) like us, might be watching the news, being incredibly incredibly demoralised, demobilised by it and saying, actually... You can come out with us and you can do something about it. And now that we're in a general election period, that whole strategy is kind of pivoted towards that. So it's about encouraging young people, um, particularly young women who are most of our followers and who are least likely to vote, uh, that actually they do have a stake in politics, that their voice is important in politics, and that there are accessible um, and social ways in which they can engage with voter registration and then actually going out and voting on December 12th.
4: So... Eleanor, as a conservative supporter, how do you how do you react to the very well documented at this point phenomenon that the majority of uh, young people, people under not just under twenty five but kind of under thirty five as well, at this stage um, feel uh, very alienated from what they think the Conservative Party stands for? Yeah,
0: I'd say first of all, anything that improves voter registration, especially by young women for young women, I applaud you for because it's needed um yeah i'm a conservative supporter but i'm not a boris supporter i've made that very clear um but it's difficult and i think obviously the clip you've chosen very cherry picked and would have i'm sure you could get similar clips from every political leader that we have party leader at the minute um it's difficult because i i feel so impassioned about the conservative party and what i felt it was when i joined and how much opportunity i felt um Oh, God, I was, like, 16, so about eight years ago-ish. Um, and it's changed so much, I think, from leaders. like One of the main reasons I backed Jeremy Hunt so publicly was because the thought of Boris being Prime Minister scared me and still does make me feel very uneasy.
4: So what is it about Boris Johnson particularly? Because, OK, cards on the table. I... I have there's no love lost between me and Boris Johnson but I think the media narratives that exceptionalise him as as this kind of uniquely bad um, uniquely bad political figure kind of underplay the fact that he's just you know he's just complicit in uh, 10 years of conservative austerity which has you know killed 120 30,000 people and I think you know ultimately that's the platform on which he should be assessed so why not Bo- why hunt and not Boris I think the
0: main thing for me was that Boris's policies do align with me on the sort of economic liberal side of things, but it was a question of morality for me. It was just something that I couldn't do because... Just seeing comments he's made as someone who is LGBT plus and volunteers with LGBT plus conservatives, him calling people bum boys, him referring to burqas, people who wear burqas as letterboxes, it's just ridiculous. It's sort of like we were saying earlier. It's like the thick of it, the fact that we've got to a point where someone who, in a poll, people said wouldn't eat, they wouldn't even trust with their daughter is being trusted with the country um, but I, I still back conservative policies. I was a young carer um, for my father and I personally as much as you'll roll your eyes at it, feel that the conservatives did really help me and my father and then I worked as a support worker and I saw that conservative policies were helping that and from an economic opportunity point of view I back that but it, it it leaves a bad taste in my mouth when we have people like him. When I know we have so many fantastic, caring, conservative MPs who, and candidates who could have been in that position of power, it hurts me to know that we've got someone like Boris who is just pushing back our image and just undoing work that we've done to overcome that.
4: So, Rosa, what do you make of that? Because there is this um, argument saying that young people aren't like automatically... Left wing. That's kind of a bit of a myth. They won by, uh, the, uh, Thatcher won amongst young people by a good 10, 15 percent back in 1983, and, and there's a lot of arguments to say that you know our generation um, is you know, very entrepreneurial, very kind of self-starting, and there is that conservative line of, you know, this is about opportunity, this is about economic freedom. So why do young people seem
5: to not be getting on board with that? So I think, well, full, if we're putting cards on the table, I should say that our full name is "fuck the government and fuck Boris." So we're not, <laughs> we're not, we're not a single issue or single. Fuck man. Boris
4: to friends, yeah,
5: <laughs> exactly. Sun <It's not> nickname, <laughs> um, but so we under like we understood these things as a structural problem, and I think you can understand the sort of um, the youth support for parties like Labour, for example, in a similar way in terms of. Um, now the kind of difference between older voters and younger voters is kind of like a proxy for class. I mean, people of the generation that I'm in have suffered, um, you know, after the financial crash in 2008. uh, We largely live in private rented accommodation. We've had to suffer under tens of thousands of pounds worth of debt and tuition fees when we decide to go to university, which has now more barriers are being put in front of that for people like us. So I think that a lot of the... It's not this sort of cultural... um, youth progressive quality that is just inherently going to be there but it's actually that young people and also what's considered young now now goes up to kind of 35, 40 Mm, years old because people are in those that is the, the economic situation in which they're in they're in huge amounts of debt they're in private rented and very insecure accommodation they're in very insecure work they have suppressed wages these are things which are affecting huge portions of the population and largely young people and we see that older people particularly uh, boomers have been able to um, benefit from more economic security than those who are young. So I think really it's a question about the conditions of young people's lives um, and less about the sort of um, cultural ideals which young people have kind of plucked out of thin air.
4: <laughs> so when we're talking about um, mobilizing those kinds of uh, those kinds of attitudes to the government whether or not you see a stake for yourself in the current system as it is um a lot of people are kind of out there on the doorstep canvassing campaigning that kind of thing what's um what's that been like for young conservatives because from a from a kind of outsider perspective it seems like there has been less of a kind of ground game amongst like younger conservative voters is that accurate
0: i disagree completely i Mm. think when we're out on the doorstep it is when i turn up it is normally young conservatives who are there on the doorstep um and if you look at uh, for example andrea Leadsom has been doing an online campaign where she every i think it's every day or every other day he's been sharing videos of young conservatives saying why they're young conservative and why they want to go out and help but I'll be honest, there's so many it is still a culture of shy young conservatives just because of the abuse that we get. Like every single day I'm tweeting something, I'm told to kill myself, told I'm going to be raped, told what? I'm the scum of the earth, I need to go die. And how can young women especially want to get involved in politics and want to be open about their honest political opinion when that's the response they get? I have noticed a step up in hate this time than from other elections.
4: I mean, I think that, that's something that's an experience that we share and probably an experience that is uh, <laughs> more about being a woman online with political Massive, opinions yeah. rather than a necessarily something that, that just cleaves to you know the, the particular political opinions that you have i feel to it, have. it is definitely directed more to
0: young conservatives there have been studies done on it that shows that if you are a young conservative you're more likely to get abuse than if you are a member of young labor just because it tends to be that there are More people, it's it's not the norm to be young conservative, it's seen as still sort of the taboo thing. You're meant to be Labour, which I disagree with, but that is why it is geared more towards.
4: Would you say you understand why people are furious at the government? Let's not beat around the bush here.
0: I think, yeah, there's always going to be annoyance and there's always going to be fallout. For example, look at the referendum, the fact that as as controversial as this is, leave one and everyone still kicks off about it. Um, but I I think I get when people are annoyed with politics, but if I saw something I didn't agree with, or if I saw someone post something where I was like, "That's a that's abhorrent, that's a lie," I think I I'd, I'd see it and I'd think it, but I would never go out of my way to be like, "I hate you, go die." I
4: guess I guess I'm not necessarily talking about particularly social media, and I'm I'm talking about more broadly. Like, do you um what is your assessment of of why young people are flocking to the left so much? Like, do you agree with what Rosa was saying? I don't, I don't like
0: the idea of what everyone says where, oh, they're attracted by free stuff, because I think that's just frankly insulting to young people to think that we could be bought like that. Like it, It's ridiculous. We have more intelligence than that. But I think it is because when you are younger, you are less likely to have paid tax, you are less likely to have maybe gone through job changes, to have started to have bought your own home, and that is something that I feel as disagreed with by you guys as this is, that when you are a conservative that does lean into more of your principles as you get older, and you start paying tax, and you start seeing that all your money is disappearing, and you're not having control over that. That everyone is choosing your services when I mean, you don't get a mean, chance. Like, That's why I'm in favour of I'm like paying lower tax, tax
4: and 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 like my money is disappearing. But you know, a lot of that is going to sort of fossil fuel subsidies and uh, you know you know into the pockets of landlords who rent to people on housing benefit, for instance. So we probably disagree on that matter. But what I want to talk about is um, is the issue of climate change, because this is the big generational mm. divide that kind of um, is very much, uh, has class embedded within it, because we know that the people who suffer first and worse from climate change are uh, people, uh, are working class people, especially working class people of colour, especially working class people of colour in the global south. But anyone who wants to have a planet around in, that is livable in about 50 years' time, uh, you know, needs to uh, listen to the science and say that we need drastic action now. So what... A, what uh, I sound confused because I am, right? Rosa, help me out here. Why are young people voting Conservative if that if their record on climate change is kind of wanting, because the 2050 target, as far as I'm concerned, is, is complete bunk.
5: <laughs> well, so I think this is another reason why you see actually large numbers of young people leaning towards the left. Um, and the massive mobilisations of young people around like the climate strikes and stuff like that has been incredibly impressive to see. We had young climate strikers um, at our first street carnival um, who talked about the need for systemic change, you know, like 17 year olds standing on the top of a bus bellowing, we're not fucking listening to boris johnson which was uh inspiring i think the problem though is that a lot of the um a lot of the detail particularly for young people who are not engaged with politics on a day-to-day basis in terms of what different parties climate policies are and what this actually means is so badly communicated i mean a lot of the events that we've run i've spoken to young people and they've said yeah we hate boris johnson we hate him we don't like the government at all. And I'm like, cool, well, then we're doing this event and this is about voter registration. And they've gone, well, but why? And I said, well, because there's a general election on. And they don't know, right? Because actually that news is not filtering through. Um, and there's a huge amount of work to be done in actually being able to accessibly communicate that stuff to large swathes of people, particularly young people who are disengaged in politics, I think. So, and I, um
4: Talk talk to me about this because I mean clearly you're not you know I'm not trying to pigeonhole you here clearly you, you you're not the kind of young conservative voter that some people might imagine you're not like you know silver spoon kind of you know and straight you white man from my kind of there. thing okay. <laughs> well you know what like I I grew up below the M25 yeah. so I can't tell you know. <laughs> um, but.
0: I so think so that's, do you, is I that, think that's is an issue you just highlighted, though. Yeah. The fact that you're saying you're not the Tory we think of. I don't meet people like the Tory that everyone thinks of, the young Conservatives in their suits, yeah. gone to private school.
4: I mean, I do all, all the time, but I wouldn't... <laughs> I, 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 I'm
0: the one out the, at the event that that It's not... It's moving. not... Genuinely not like that anymore.
4: OK, so amongst your kind of fellow uh, young Conservatives, is climate change an issue? I mean, of course. <laughs> like,
0: <laughs> yeah. I think... I think it's an issue for everyone. It's something okay. everyone is invested in. Because I don't know about you two, but I quite want to be able to live. Don't know. If, I don't know if that's too much. i am pro that. Yeah. Uh, no, but I'm... I would quite enjoy that. <laughs> um, but I, I think there are movements within. There's some guys who've set up a really good group, young conservatives for um, climate action, which are doing amazing work and doing amazing research on that. So there is movements within the young conservatives. So do you, who you disagree with the
4: conservatives on climate change?
0: What, what do you mean by as about in, it? As
4: in, like, do you disagree... Do you think that what they're doing in their... What they propose to do in their manifesto is enough?
0: Yeah, I do, because I think you spoke about the, the target and the date that's been set, but I think what's the point of setting a target that's sooner if it's unrealistic? There's no point setting ourselves to fail, and I respect that the conservatives are making reasonable suggestions and doing costed and sort of time... Um, sort of investigated policies that could work instead of setting ourselves up to fail from the beginning. But surely
5: working is saving the planet right as in that's why the date matters because doing it by a certain date means that we won't die yeah but if we (laughs)
0: physically can't do it sooner what's the point of setting that target well that is
4: a very optimistic
0: (laughs) note to end on (laughs) on. everyone's gonna die Um, the world is fucked i'm afraid that we're going
4: to have to wrap it up there thank you so much to becca uh, to rosa and eleanor and to and to everyone for listening tune in again next week Uh, For more Politics Matters...
1: You've been listening to a FUBAR Radio podcast. For more information, go to foobarradio.com.